to watch this. And uh, I want you to know this isn't the first time we've done this. We've canceled church before. They were called snow days. And uh, it took a lot of decision and balancing our, our approach to the weather and what was going on. And uh, so it was left up to us to decide, do we go? Do we have service? Do we not have service? Uh, but uh, this time around, uh, the governor stepped in and made that decision for us. And so in accordance with that, and as Randy said, out of love uh, for our community, for one another, and especially for our, our senior Christians uh, who are... Um, becoming more and more precious to me uh, the older I get. Uh, but uh, we just want to keep everybody safe. So thank you for coming in and tuning in, and we're, we're glad for that. Uh, we're still going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 6, and we're coming now to the final verses of that, um, that letter that we've been looking at for almost a year and a half now. Uh, we're coming to the last two paragraphs. I think we might have today, maybe next Sunday, uh, to finish off the, the, our study in the book of Ephesians. Um, it's been a great journey. We've seen Paul take us through the heights of our redemption uh, and our salvation, talking about how we're elected, chosen by the Father, how we're redeemed by the Son, how we are filled uh, and guaranteed, uh, sealed by the Holy Spirit, that leading to this great rejoicing that we're saved by grace through faith, and that has brought us together, Jew and Gentile, those of us uh, who did not um, have a, a lineage and a heritage in the people of God, and yet um, uh, God has brought us in, and what a great privilege that has been. Leading then to Paul's prayer for the Ephesian Christians, and then uh, we've been looking at the practical applications of that. What does it mean then to walk in a manner worthy of Christ? So it's been a great journey through this uh, letter to the Ephesians. I hope you've You've been blessed by it. Uh, this morning we look at verses 21 through 24. We'll actually look at 21 and 22 this morning uh, as uh, we turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Paul writes this, So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Bow with me for a moment in prayer. Father, we come before your word knowing that we need to be filled, that we need to be instructed, that we need to be shaped and guided. Father, that we need to be transformed. And so we pray that your Holy Spirit now would speak to us in these next few moments and that truly we would grow closer to Christ, looking more like Christ, walking in the footsteps of Christ because of the ministry of the Spirit through your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And so Paul says, I'm sending Tychicus just to tell you how I am. And uh, this past week as I was looking at various... Uh, uh, resources and commentaries on, on the book of Ephesians, uh, one of the things that was said about Tychicus was that he didn't mind playing second fiddle. And I thought, well, that, that's a good line. I can use that. He had second fiddle Tychicus. Uh, but the problem was, I was trying to think, does anybody really understand what it means to be second fiddle uh, to someone else? And uh, I thought to myself, well, I, I really don't know what it means to be second fiddle. But I do know what it means to be third clarinet 
You know, when, when I was in the sixth grade, somehow I wound up in the uh, school band, the school district band, district-wide band um, in Castro Valley, California, and, and uh, uh, I would go to the practices and so forth, and, and I think it, it was like a junior high school band, and because of that, all the sixth grade clarinet players were in third clarinet section, and the older kids were in the first and second clarinet section. Now, for those of you who have not had the wonderful experience of band, uh, let me just explain that the first clarinets, they're the good players, they're the ones who know what they're doing, they're the ones who can carry the melody, they're the ones uh, that you're really listening to. The second clarinets are very good players because they add the melody, they add depth. First clarinet, you just get the, 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 uh, the, well, the melody, the second clarinet then adds the harmony, and so you get depth and texture and so forth. And the third clarinets, basically all they add is fear. You know, there's, there's just sort of this wonder about what are these kids going to do? And so I found myself in the third clarinet section, and within each section then, you have chairs. You know, the very best player, the very best third clarinet player gets to sit in what's called first chair, and you work your way down second, third, and however many kids, that's how many chairs you have. And uh, so there's no doubting who, who the best player is. Uh, so during the course of this, when I first started playing in the band, I remembered that there was tryouts for who would be first chair. And it came down between me and uh, another student. And the test was they gave us a piece of music to play that we had never seen before. We weren't allowed to practice it. We didn't study it. I had never seen it. They just put it in front of us. There, go play, play this piece of music. And I thought I was doing pretty good. I, I was playing it pretty well. But then I came to a note, and, and folks, if you ever want to learn something, you learn best when you're embarrassed publicly. Now, whatever you're doing when you're embarrassed publicly, you'll never forget. So I, I, I can still see it in my mind as I'm reading through the music. I come to the, the left-hand side of the page, and there is the note. It's, the, it's a D. It doesn't matter too much, but it, it was a D. And it was a whole note, and there are two of them, one in this measure and one in the next measure. But there was a little line connecting the two notes. Now, I know what that means. I know what that means. It means that you don't play two notes. You play one note twice as long. That's the best way I can think of to explain. So I'm, I'm playing along that. I said, I know what that means. I'm really good to go. Except that in front of the first note, there was this little letter B. Now, in musical notation, the little letter B means you play it as a flat. It's normally played natural, but now it's flat. Just go with me on this. And so I'm playing along, and I see it's a D. I see it's a flat. I'm playing D flat. One, two, three. But then there's a measure line. And there's two rules here. The one rule is, if there's a line connecting two notes, you don't play the note again. You just keep playing it. And the other rule is, if you've got a little B, make it, turning it from a D natural to a D flat, that little line that changes the measure means that you don't play the flat anymore. So even at my young age, between the counts of three and four and one, I'm trying to figure out, do I keep playing D flat or do I go to D natural? Now, this was an existential crisis. I mean, forget the virus. This is an existential crisis in my life because the future of my life as a musician hinges on this. And I'm going through and I, I've got two rules. Play the same note, play a different note. And I don't know what to do. And as is the case in my life, I made the wrong choice. And I wound up as second chair, third clarinet. So for the rest of my band career, uh, which lasted all of a year, 
but I was third clarinet, uh, second chair uh, for the rest of my band career. So if you want to understand what it means to play second fiddle, that's, that's sort of what it is. Uh, it's, it's a little bit better than, than third clarinet, second chair, uh, but the, the, the meaning is the same. And so we have here Tychicus, and Paul says, I'm sending Tychicus to you. And as we look at Tychicus, we really don't know very much about him. In fact, we know almost nothing about him. What we know, we piece together from five different references in the New Testament to him. But it's, it's pretty clear that Tychicus played third clarinet and sat in the second chair. Now it turns out that the second chair of the third clarinet section is the most important clarinet in the band. He controls everything. Because if he plays well, they win the contest. If he misses a note, evidently they lose the contest. Because that's what happened. Uh, so, uh, but he's the most important player in the band. And so Tychicus comes to us and he's sitting in second chair, third clarinet, and Paul says, but I have something to do. I have some way to use Tychicus. See, Paul says, I'm, I'm sending Tychicus, and, and his basic assignment is to tell you what's going on with me, not, not just, uh, you, know, did, you know, what are you reading lately, seen any good movies, but it's rather it, to let you know what the ministry is, is about, to, to let you know what God is doing in my life, to let you know what's what's happening around us for which we can give glory to God. I'm sending Tychicus to you so that you can be a part of this great ministry, so you can be a part of what God is doing in my life. That's why Tychicus is coming to you. But then Paul describes it and he says, Tychicus is our beloved brother. Now in one sense, that's just saying, well, he's, he's a Christian. Because when we come to Christ, we're brought into the family of God. God's very interested in families. Created the family in, in the garden. When he called Abraham out of Ur, the Chaldees, he said, I'm going to bless you. How did he say that? I'm going to bless you. And through your descendants, what does that mean? Through your family, all the world is going to be blessed. They hung unto that family since so that when they came out of Egypt and went through the wilderness, what were they called? The children of Israel. I mean, they, you, you could say the, the family of Israel. I remind you of the time when, when Jesus was preaching and the crowd was around him and he was expounding on, on the kingdom of God. And uh, the Bible says that his mother and brothers came up to the crowd and they wanted to see Jesus. They wanted to call him out of the crowd. Elsewhere it says they thought he was a little bit out of his mind. He wasn't real, real uh, with it in terms of what he should be doing. But um, they, they, they came to Jesus and they wanted to call him out and, and basically say, you know... Um, uh, Jesus, you, you might want to rethink what's going on. Anyway, they, his mother and brothers come to Jesus. They want to get in. They can't get to him. So the word is passed up to the front, and somebody goes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are here. And Jesus is not one to bypass a teachable moment. But the scripture says he looked at him and he said, Look, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And then he looked at his disciples, he pointed to those who had followed him, and he said, these are my mother and my brother and my sisters. Everybody who does the will of God, they're my, they're my family. What a remarkable thing for Jesus to say. Now, these are my brothers. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, it says that Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers and his sisters. That's an amazing thing. Jesus is not ashamed to say we are his brothers and his sisters. Uh, I, can, I can be pretty proud of saying Christ Jesus is my brother, 
Everybody would say, wow, that's really cool. Can you imagine when Jesus, you know, he says, this is my brother over here. Folks are saying, wow, we're sorry. You know, you, you must have your hands full with that one. But Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers. He's like, he's like really into calling us his brothers. And so uh, Paul says, this Tychicus, he's a beloved brother. He's a believer. We've been brought into this family of God. And that's sort of the first level of what he means. But I think he also means, this Tychicus is actually a beloved brother to me. In the the body of Christ, in the church here at First Baptist, we are brothers and sisters together. But, you know, there are some people that you really look forward to seeing on Sunday morning. You're missing that this morning. Uh, there, there's other folks that when you, when you see them, your life it just sort of um, gains a step or two and you, you just feel so much better. You know, one, of the, one of the great things about getting together physically uh, when we worship, and that will happen again, but one of the things that happens is uh, we have sort of a surprise encounter, somebody we didn't expect to see, fall into conversation with them, and we realize some things that we had never suspected about them before and, and just go out praising God for who they are. Now, we're, we're brothers and, and sisters, and, and for some, that, that's sort of in a special way, a special kinship, a, a special connection that God is using to make you richer and, and, uh, and stronger in the faith. And, and Paul says, Tychicus is like that for me. In fact, the first time we run across Tychicus is uh, in Acts 20, and I can hear you turning to it at, at home coming through the Internet. But uh, if you're not, I'll, I'll read this for you. In Acts chapter 20, and uh, you pick up at verse 4, uh, Paul is on his way to Rome. He's got a collection of money that he's taking to Rome, uh, and that money is going to be used to relieve the distress of the impoverished Christians in Rome for whatever reason. They'd suffered a famine and so forth, and they are um, uh, now in need of funds, in need of relief funds. And Paul has been going all over uh, his ministry and has been collecting money, and now it's time to bring that money to Jerusalem. And uh, part of the, the mechanism for it was that when Paul went to Jerusalem, each church or, or, or region might appoint a few people to go with him so that he wouldn't carry the burden of, of taking the, the funds to Jerusalem by himself. It just gave everybody a sense of comfort and those kinds of things. So anyway, so Paul's on his way to Rome. He's carrying this ministry of relief for the Christians in Rome, and churches are appointing people to go with him. And we read about some of them in verse 4 of Exodus 20, or Acts 20, I'm sorry, says, Sopater the Berean, um, the son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. And these went on ahead, and they met Paul in Troas. And so the first time we run into Tychicus, he's simply been assigned to be a part of a group going with Paul. But here's the thing. Tychicus did not leave Paul when that ministry was over. He went with Paul to Jerusalem. He stayed with Paul when Paul was arrested. He stayed with Paul during the time of his incarceration. He went with Paul to Rome. He stayed with Paul in his confinement in the house. And we know that because in 2 Timothy, which is probably the last letter that Paul wrote uh, that, that we have preserved for us, Paul mentions Tychicus again, to Timothy at the very end of his ministry. So through all those years, Tychicus stuck it out with Paul. Now, with the good times, the bad times, the traveling, the, the deprivation, all those things, Tychicus was there. You can just imagine how many times Paul may have turned to Tychicus. He said, you know, 
You remember when we were together at this city and we preached the gospel? And people responded and the glory of God came down. Or, or Tychicus, could you be praying for me right now? I've got, a, I've got something on my heart and on my mind. There's a problem in a church and it, it's, just, it's just laying on my heart. Could you pray for me? You know, the, the kind of fellowship they must have shared over the years as Tychicus remained faithful and um, present in Paul's life. So when Paul says this Tychicus is a beloved brother, it's, it's you know, just theologically he's, he's a believer, my brother, but also he's invested in my life. He's invested in my life. That's, that's the kind of thing that happens when the Holy Spirit gets a, head, a hold of us and draws us into the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit gets a hold of us and joins us together. So Tychicus, a beloved brother, and then Paul says of him, and faithful minister in the Lord. The word minister there is the same word that's often translated as deacon. It means here's someone who is meeting the needs of the church. He's ministering to the church. Um, it's sort of like Tychicus is the guy that when the, the band leader says, what instrument do you play? Tychicus says, well, what instrument do you need? You know, I play a few pretty good. I play one kind of well. There's some instruments I don't know at all, but I'll learn them. You know, it might not be something I've ever done before, but I'm willing to try. Tychicus was the kind of guy who said, you know, if there's a, if there's a need in the band, I want to fill that. And if that means learning a new instrument, I'll, I'll do that. It, it may not be the best anybody's ever done, but it'll be the best I can do by the power of the Holy Spirit. He was ministering to the church. And we, we pick up that. I, I want to turn you to um, Titus. Uh, this is Titus chapter 3 and verse 12. Uh, and, and here the situation is Paul has written to Titus. Titus is, uh, has a ministry in the island of Crete in the Mediterranean, which is where it is. And so anyway, but uh, Titus is, is ministering in the, in the island of Crete, and uh, Paul has written to him. And one of the things he wants Titus to do is to come and be uh, uh, with him. And so in verse 12, Titus 3, he says, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis. I've decided to spend the winter there. Nicopolis is a city sort of on western Greece. Think of it as a resort city, a nice place to spend the winter. And so what Paul is saying is, Titus, I want you to come spend time with me. But Titus has a ministry. He has churches. He has a region, and he's, he's pastoring, and he's pastoring pastors, and so he has this great responsibility. But Paul says, Titus, in order to cover for you, I'm going to send, it's either going to be Artemis or Tychicus. I haven't made up my mind yet. You'll know when you get the letter. But I'm sending one of these guys to you, and when they get there, they'll, they'll sort of fill in for you. They'll be an interim pastor for you. I thought I'd throw that in. But they'll cover for you, Titus. What is he saying? He said, of Tychicus, he's got the skills, he's got the gifts, he's got the willingness, he's got the surrender, he's got the spirit filling, that he can step in and do the ministry that Titus has been doing. He can, he can pick up the slack that's going to be there, uh, Titus, when you come and, and visit me. And then at the end of his life, Paul is writing to Timothy, and uh, this is in 2 Timothy, uh, chapter 4, also verse 12. And, uh, well, let's pick it up in verse 11. Paul writes this to Timothy. He says, Luke alone is with me. Paul is, is in Rome, we presume, or 
wherever he is, but probably Rome. But he says, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. There's a whole sermon in here, by the way, in the reconciliation of Paul and Mark. But Paul is saying, I, I want Mark here. I need Mark here. And I want you, uh, Timothy, bring Mark with you so that we can sort of get together on the same page of, of this ministry. And then he says in verse 12, Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. Then verse 13, and when you, Timothy, come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and also the books and above all the, 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 the parchments. Well, what's, what's going on there? He says, Timothy, bring Mark with you. I've sent Tychicus, and when you come, bring these things that I need. So the whole three verses are talking about, Timothy, make a trip to come see me. Bring Mark. Oh, by the way, and I think this is the best explanation. By the way, I've sent Tychicus to take Mark's place. I've sent Tychicus to cover Mark's ministry. What does that mean? That means Tychicus, who never gets a church of his own, I guess, or a, or a ministry of his own. He's, he's a fill-in. He's someone who will go and he'll do the interim and he'll do the substitute and he's willing to take that role. He doesn't have to stand uh, in the spotlight. He's willing to do this so that the, the greater ministry can, can proceed. And so Paul says, this Tychicus, he is a faithful minister. He's someone willing to do whatever needs to be done and to fill in wherever it is needed. And also, sort of implied by this, and we're back to Ephesians chapter 6 again. And he says, and Antichicus, when he comes, I've sent him for this purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he can encourage your hearts. Tychicus now is someone who's been with Paul, experienced that ministry, has been assigned various places to pick up the slack when someone needed some time out of, out, out of their, their localized ministry. He's got evidently tremendous talents in these regards. And Paul says, I'm using Tychicus to be a mailman. I'm using Tychicus just to deliver this letter. And by the way, in, uh, at the end of Colossians, um, uh, it, it, Paul says the same thing. He says, I'm sending Tychicus so that he can tell you how we're doing. And evidently, Tychicus brought both Ephesians and Colossians and uh, sort of read the letters to the churches and updated people in Paul's ministry. Paul said, I've, I've got Tychicus here, a tremendously talented man, and he's going to be a mailman for me. He's just going to be a delivery boy. And you can just hear Tychicus saying, that's great. That's great. That's what I want to do. I just want to be useful in some way. Tychicus did not need to stand in the spotlight before men. He just wanted to stand in the light of Christ before God. And that was enough for him. And by the way, the church can't function without people like Tychicus. We would have lost the book of Ephesians. For a year and a half, you would have had to look at me, stand in the pulpit, and say nothing. Aren't you glad we had something to read? We would have lost the, the book of Colossians without Tychicus. God used him in the process of bringing us his word. But Tychicus was willing to serve even though you don't get notice for it. That's sort of the way God works. I, I, I want to remind you of something that happened. This is back in the book of Exodus. And it's chapter 17, starting at verse 8. Children of Israel are going through the wilderness. Uh, Moses is leading them. 
And what happens is a, a guy by the name of Amalek, Amalekite um, fame, but he, uh, King Amalek, Amalek attacks them. He, he just, for some reason, he doesn't like Israel. And here's what happens. Verse 8, 17, book of Exodus. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek. While Moses, Aaron, and Hur... Now you might have read that, Moses, Aaron, and who? I mean, who's this her guy? Is this the same one who made the movie, Charlton Heston? It isn't, by the way. We know nothing about her, almost nothing. The rabbis had a lot of traditions about him, but we know almost nothing. It seems that he was in, in the leadership with Moses, that he had, had administrative responsibilities, but by and large, you don't hear about her. His grandson was used to, uh, to build the tabernacle where they would meet with God. But of her, we know almost nothing except what we read here. And so it says that Moses, Aaron, and her went on the top of the hill. And whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And I believe what was happening is there, whenever he held up his hand, the people would look and they would, they would see and they would know that Moses was pleading for them with God and that their fate was in the hands of God and that the course of the battle was in God's hands. And Moses was proclaiming that by the uplifted hands and whenever he lowered his hand, the people would see that, and Amalek would prevail. But Moses' hands grew weary, and so they took a stone and they put it under him, and he sat down on the stone. And Aaron took one hand, and her held up the other hand, one on each side. And so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun, and Joshua overwhelmed King Amalek and his people. Now, in, in the economy of God, as he works, some people are Moses. Some people are Paul. Some people are, are out front. Some people are, are, are very visible in what they're doing. Some people are Joshua's. Now, they're, they're very active in a ministry, and everybody knows that they're very active in the ministry. And while somebody else might be in charge, they really look to Joshua for a lot of a lot of help and a lot of guidance, sort of like a, a Barnabas or maybe Dr. Luke or, 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 or somebody like that with Paul. And some people get to be an Aaron. They, they have responsibilities and they're well-known and their name is written down. They don't always get it right, but people ultimately have confidence in them. But the kingdom of God doesn't get very far unless you have somebody named her. Unknown, unmentioned, almost forgotten. But somebody had to hold up the hand of Moses and keep him going. I remind you that when Jesus was on the road to the cross, to Calvary, he had been arrested, he'd been beaten, he'd been kept up all night in the mockery of a trial. Now he had been condemned and the crowd had shouted and it had been granted to them that he would be crucified. And as he was walking along out of fatigue and exhaustion and blood loss, he stumbled and he fell. And as was the customs, the soldiers picked somebody out of the crowd to carry the cross for the, the, the convicted 
person for execution. And they looked through the crowd and they saw, you know, the, the people, but their eyes alighted on one man. He was from Cyrene. Cyrene is in North Africa. And his name was Simon. And you can almost hear the soldiers laughing as they picked him out of the crowd and said, hey, you carry his cross. And they put it on him and he had to carry the cross of a convicted criminal. The day comes when we're asking the great evangelists of history, what did you do with your life? And they'll say, I preached to thousands, I preached to tens, hundreds, I preached to millions. And thousands upon thousands were converted and came to Christ and were baptized through my ministry. And we will all praise God for that. And we do. And others will say, well, I had a ministry or I had a, I had a church and I was a pastor and I, and I worked hard and the people responded and the word of God was taught. And we praise God for that and heaven will give God the praise and the glory for that. But the moment comes when we turn to Simon of Cyrene and we ask him, what did you do with your life? And he says, I carried his cross. I carried the cross that bore the man who bore my sins. And to a person we will all say, I wish I'd done that. I wish I had done that. Because God uses the second chair of the third clarinets for his glory. And without them, the work doesn't get done. And without them, the ministry is incomplete. And so this morning, what I'd, I'd like to invite all of you to do is to not look at the chair in front of you or the next section up or look behind you and do all this comparison and competition. But this morning, I'd like for you to just ask, what do you need? Whatever it is, I want to give it. I have been so proud of you this past week, as Randy has given us tremendous leadership in, in dealing with this uh, uh, virus and, and the crisis and, and, um, and giving uh, the church guidance, I've been very proud of him. And I am unbearably proud of how many people, once the word went out, can you help? It came back, put me on the list, put me on the list. I want to help. I, I, I want to take a prescription to somebody. I, I want to go do grocery shop, shopping for somebody. I, I'll, I'll come and get somebody and take them to a doctor's appointment. I've been so incredibly proud of you because God uses folks who are third clarinet, second chair. Let's bow together in prayer. And Father, we do not ask that you give us some great task so that we might demonstrate our strength. We do not pray that you would give us some complicated problem to solve so that we can demonstrate our wisdom and intellect. But we ask that you would give us something that would give you praise, honor, and glory. Something that would enable us to show our gratitude and our joy and our worship and our praise. Father, we pray that you would use us wherever we are, such as we are, for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.